Welcome to Rethink Retirement, a Next Up podcast. Now, normally my colleague Trevor Hatton and I interview our guests about their experience on leaving full-time work and using their skills in that horrible word, retirement or unretirement as we call it. However, this time Trevor is flying and it became a nightmare with his rearranged flights. And we'd already decided we wanted to do something quite special with this one with our guest. And so we just thought, bother it. I'm going to give myself an enormous treat and just have Aviva all to myself. So today we have the a wonderful Aviva Wittenberg-Cox and she's been a thought leader on gender balance for many years and more recently on generational balance which is one of my big passions. I've been banging this drum for some years so I think we're wasting the skills of this 50 plus generation so I'm just thrilled Aviva to ask you your thoughts. Welcome to this podcast. Oh, Victoria, thank you so much. And what a pleasure. I, I entirely share your pleasure. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, I should say I'm Victoria Tomlinson. We, we meant to say that all of that sort of stuff. So Aviva, can we introduce you to our listeners who don't know you and just tell them a bit about your background? Uh, I'm a hodgepodge and a misfit, I, think <laughs> I usually say it, which prepares me well for a very ambiguous future. I am a mix of Canadian-born, French and Swiss parentage. Um, I, so I carry these three passports. I've lived in all these countries and uh, only got to the UK post 50 um, about 12 years ago and have lived here ever since. And I have spent the last yeah 20 odd years, 25 odd years, working on gender balance in the business world all around the world in all these big corporates in over 40 countries and am kind of intrigued and surprised to discover as I plunge during this COVID pandemic and since into the age of longevity and aging societies how similar it reminds me as a transformation and massive demographic shift as the gender shift of 25 years ago. So, and I have my puppy. We're going to have to integrate into this podcast who is not well behaved and I don't have backup babysitting. <laughs> but he's gorgeous. Is it a he or she? It's a little she, of course. Oh, her name is Poppy. We can in- integrate her into the- part of an aging society is we're not going to have children anymore, but we might have a lot more dogs and cats. I think. Oh, that's interesting. We've not heard that one discussed. Oh, that's a whole, oh, that's a whole another topic for another day. Oh, the loneliness epidemic and the curative therapy of pets. Oh, yes. It's going to be big. Invest in pet food. What can I tell you? Oh, have you? Yes, yes. A hot investor tip. But we are not regulated. We're not giving tips out, by the way. So it's this fourth quarter that interests me, Aviva. Initially, I found it next up because I was just seeing so many people who had this word retired. It sticks in my throat. But they'd retired without planning. They couldn't find things to do. And they were in a bad place mentally. And that's evolved over the last few years. And we're now working with professional firms on the one hand, running pre-retirement workshops for partners and our online platform is helping employees work out this fourth quarter and one of the things that we have struggled with and I would just love your views on is why should corporates professional firms public sector organizations whatever why should they care about how people retire whether they're happy or not whether they're using their skills or not why should this matter in a way they're leaving the organization so why does it matter 
I think it matters for the same reason that a lot of companies had to be convinced about why gender balance mattered at the time, right? And I think it's the same thing because it's a massive transformation of our societies, our talent, and our customer base. And so if that's not three reasons enough, as the demographic pyramids morph into squares, we have far fewer young people. And companies do have to get somebody doing things unless really this AI revolution is going to mean really transforming of less employees, we're going to need talent and we need good educated talent. And a lot of it is over 50 these days and nearing what was traditionally retirement. And we already have labor shortages in a number of countries. And we will see that spread if the focus in organizations continues to be on what I call Q2, uh, which is 25 to 50, right? If mm. all of your talent planning, not to mention your customer focus, is on that age range of 25 to 50, one is shrinking and two, you're lacking the other half, which is Q3, the years from 50 to 75. So it's, that's why companies who are at all into forecasting and future of work and demographic studies are already well onto this. There aren't very many of them, but the front movers are already moving. So what you're seeing, is it more about retaining those people or is it about creating a relationship with them as they retire? I mean, it's this whole retirement thing that I'm really struggling with at this moment. And I have struggled with the, what's the business case for some of this. It feels the right thing to do, but why should people care about how people leave their organisation? Do you see that as an opportunity for the future for them? I see it as a question of framing, right? What is this issue? And I think if we stay on the words retirement and unretirement and what is it, uh, it's we're staying in kind of an old paradigm, which is that we had this three stage life of education and then work and then retirement. And I just think that whole model is gone obsolete and no longer entirely relevant. And now it's about four quarter lives. So I'm talking about there are different ages and stages that require different things and what people do and how they do it and where they do it and when they do it are all up for grabs. And so since we're talking a lot, you're working in professional services firms, which is a knowledge-based kind of work, which increases over time. There's huge value in the knowledge that a lot of people have. A lot of these firms aren't necessarily measuring what percentage of their employee base is close to retirement, close to early retirement, and what knowledge do those people have that might be walking out the door unless that knowledge is captured and transferred carefully. And that isn't yet entirely on the radar, right? So companies are losing a lot of talent and the knowledge that went with them. The, my favorite case study of that is actually the French nuclear arms industry, where a lot of the nuclear plants are no longer being maintained because the only people who knew how to maintain them are long retired and haven't been replaced because we were shutting down nuclear power plants for a long time until Europe realized that it might need them in the post-Ukraine war. Wow, that is some example, isn't it? I can't even think of it was. I was talking to somebody just yesterday and they were saying how so many companies and organisations now are losing the experience out of the door that they just haven't thought. It's just it, this whole ageism thing. Oh, people over 50, uh, we don't need them anymore. It's all, we're all, it's all about the future and the youth and whatever. And then suddenly that I haven't heard that. Wow, what a wake up call that you've actually, they're gone and you can't get them back again. Wow. 
can't even retrain them very quickly, right? That's a massive, um, and so it seems like the majority of those sites are now non-functional only because they don't have the people to update them and maintain them. And that's, I think, only a metaphor for what we're gonna see in a lot of organizations is this unnecessary, unplanned, and not very thought through loss of talent. And, and I also, whenever we talk about talent, I always want to also talk about the flip side, which is customers and market potential in an aging population. If we're approaching a lot of countries where half the population will be over 50, that's a massive market. And those people don't generally feel particularly well targeted, talked to, or integrated into product and service development and marketing. So, you know, this longevity economy opportunity, I think is very real. Yeah, if you approach it that way. So, Aviva, you and I have talked about the future of work quite a bit and the need for employers to think differently and be different in how they invest in and offer opportunities to the 50 plus generation. And really, this whole thing about getting people to work intergenerationally, I think is so interesting. We have done some things where we got people who had recently retired, they're quite senior experience, to mentor tech entrepreneurs. And I can't tell you, the buzz from bringing them together is amazing. What do you think employers should be doing in this space and who do you see as the leaders in this and that we can learn from in terms of how we get in? It's really about generations respecting each other, isn't it, to start with? And then how do we get the best from intergenerational working? And it just seems so obvious to me, but it's how do we make that work? I think, again, this, this sort of idea of intergenerational stuff, it always strikes me as a little bit of this, you know, namby-pamby, nice to have, the way it's talked about. Again, it, I look at careers as being Q2 plus, plus Q3 now, which means basically we have much longer careers. We're talking about 50 or 60 year careers, which impacts employers and employees, much, much longer timeframes. And half of the people are going to be in Q2 and half of them are going to be in Q3. These are big numbers we're talking about. We're not talking about some little small group of older people who have to somehow mentor a few people. It's the entire workforce that will more or less be balanced across Q2 and Q3, which means, yeah, absolutely. How do you pair up and build teams that profit from the the advantages of each of those phases, which are different. Q2, they're younger, stronger, have better memories, that's for sure, at least mine. But they're also in a, you know, ego buildup, competitive, um, perhaps set somewhat self-centered. Whereas you've got this other Q3 audience that has a lot of experience, uh, some hopefully wisdom. They've been through the ups and downs of markets and crises of all kinds. So they have a little bit more maturity and distance and and calmness to help the Q2ers pace themselves. And the benefits of that kind of generational balance on teams, on anywhere, on creating new companies, on servicing old ones, and on any societal issue is going to be as important as a response to this whole aging society thing, because we need both the older and the younger to be aligned on how to manage this challenge of aging societies. It can't be just a few old folk talking about it. And I think the major challenges that face us, which is really climate change, has to be a shared responsibility of 
the old and the young, right? We can't expect the next generation to clean up our act. And we'll be key to having the resources and the people and the understanding to adapt in time. Yes. And the thing that struck me about COVID actually was obviously, you know, Zoom, nobody's heard of it before, it seems. And suddenly everybody was talking about what you could do and using technology to well, you know, to stay connected. And I'm thinking about the older generations now who were suddenly isolated and then started using technology to stay in touch with families and things. And it struck me then that this is the way we need to be going. Going back to that example of mentoring tech entrepreneurs, and you've just talked about aging society and the aging society. The problem is when people become isolated, isn't it? And it's when people are on their own and they mentally start deteriorating and they become old. Whereas actually what we need to do is connect people into society more and that that's how you stay young and you don't become such a burden on society. That, that's how I see it anyway. I mean, would you agree with that? And I see technology as being, I've, I haven't got the greatest health. And sometimes I think, how bad would you have to be to disconnect? And I'm thinking, this is not nowhere near where I am. You could be in an iron lung and you could have a mirror there and you could still mentor entrepreneurs if you still had your brains. So I kind of try and imagine what couldn't we be doing if we couldn't get older generations really engaged more with society and every day connecting people and helping them in all the ways that you're talking about, really. But I don't know. Am I being foolish here, do you think? Not only are you being foolish, I think it's the essential, the essential change. <laughs> in addition to the fact that women are now you know moving up through half the world but the essential change is technology right it has enabled connections and potentially 8 billion people being connected of all ages and all countries this has already i think completely rewired the brains and attitudes of our younger people so gen z and the ones coming in after but it's also rewiring the opportunities and the brains and the energies of everybody who's come online in these last few years because now we can and we will increasingly this is not some this is no longer a difficult task to get onto a Zoom call and connect. This is a huge new freedom for everybody. My mother, who just died last year at 97, lived on her iPad. She read books, she talked to all her family, uh, she read the press every single day. We now, as aging citizens, one, first of all, we're gonna be healthier longer. We're gonna be engaged longer. We don't have to necessarily get an income to be in the world, doing good, having purpose. There are gonna be many, many roles, especially if you expect, as I do, that AI will transform the world of work. We will probably have more leisure. We will have more need for the non-AI part of humanity, which is relationship building, connection, support, care, health, community, those things are going to grow in value. And I think that's where all us older folk will have an incredible role to play. Now, that's interesting about that relationship building, because that's where I think, I wouldn't say our generation, you're younger than I am, but um, my generation plus, etc. I think that's where this generation has a lot to offer. Youngsters have grown up much more in tech, which has tended to mean, I've seen a lot of young people who are not very confident about making relationships because they kind of, they, they revert quickly to phone and text and emails and things rather than picking up the phone and talking or meeting somebody even. Now, there are two things that I'm kind of trying, uh, talking to employers about at the moment. I, I'm a bit dismayed about, I left the corporate world very 
very long time ago. I was a director of EY when I was 32. And since then, I've had my own business and I've worked with corporates. But it's very different from actually getting under the skin of what's gone on since. And I'm, to be honest, I'm quite shocked at what's going on. The, number, the first thing is I'm shocked at how well, it's got to be called age discrimination, if I'm honest. And yet it's not being called out at the moment. But people are not, in, employers are not investing in training. Well, it's not just 50 plus generation. It seems to me people are saying from about the age of 40, they don't get investment in training. And I'm kind of, I can't relate that to the world that I left, you know, when training was all the way through. And it just was, I think it's got worse since COVID from what I'm hearing. But employers are not investing. So th there's a big issue there. And We've, we've had some employers asking us, what should we be doing for the 50 plus generation? And I love the fact even somebody asking that question. And I said, you, you know what? You're so far ahead of the game by even asking and thinking yeah. that. You've got no idea. And we're saying two things. First of all, it's this flexibility. And I've heard you've got some fantastic podcasts, Aviva, and that's come through hugely in there. And this whole thing about being flexible and supporting people, it's as much as, you know, mums returning to work sort of the the whole need of supporting and, and the flexibility there in their lives and things. And the other thing that I've been saying is every organisation has got ESG initiatives coming out of, you know, that is, we talked about climate change a minute ago, you know, they're looking at what do we need to do, sustainability, this whole thing about gender balance, Me Too, the whole diversity, the much broader issue of diversity and things. And I think that's something that we ought to be getting the 50 plus generation much more involved in, because I think they bring something quite special to some of it. There are people with entrenched views, and I think that would be good for them to be a bit more challenged sometimes. So, you know, I recognise they're not necessarily, when we talk about people en masse, of this generation they can seem not always as connected with society if you like the way things are changing does that make sense what I'm saying here Aviva that sometimes I think people view the older generation as a bit stuck in their ways if you like and perhaps they're not the natural people that you would put on to very contemporary issues if you like let's put it like that but I think a they could bring something to it and I think they're good at being challenged and good at learning and I think we should be doing far more of this and the other bit that I keep hearing about which is connected is I've heard employers refer to, I can't even bear to say this phrase, permafrost. And they have employees of age 50 plus who they see as a permafrost, that they are kind of stagnated there, that they don't want to leave because of financial. They haven't been invested in. This is as much an employer issue as it is the individual. And we're just completely wasting this talent. And I, mean, I can't bear, I can hardly bear to phrase some of these questions. Just tell me what your thoughts are about this whole 50 plus generation at work. And then what could we be doing? What do you think of the things we're suggesting? What else should we be doing to kind of revive them and get them geared up before they leave their organisations to be ready for the next stage, this fourth quarter or fifth quarter or whatever it is? <laughs> I think, and I'm steeping this in my 20 years working on gender balance, right? Because all the questions you just asked, you could have replaced the word 50 plus by the word women, and it would have been true, right? All this talent we weren't using, we had all these preconceptions, all these stereotypes about what they could and couldn't do. So we're, it's just another round, right? With a topic that I, and I find that how you go in on it, if you go in on gender balance, yelling sexism and men are bad and let's, you know, train them about their unconscious biases, you're pretty well set up to fail, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the same, I think, so we're coming to the same sort of approaches on what is a very new 
It was predictable and slow moving and new phenomenon of aging societies. People are not aware. I mean, awareness about this issue, people in it think it's really old and they've been on it for 30 years and they don't understand. Everybody I talk to in organization has never heard about this. They've never, <laughs> never heard about longer lives and careers and the impacts on everything from careers and couples to countries and companies. This is, and you talk about this and, and people's eyes light up and they think, oh my goodness, this is extraordinary. So you can't go in on something new yelling about horrible age because of course they're ageist because in the past we did not want to work longer. We have the French in the street fighting to not work longer. Yeah, right. Not just the French, by the way, there are a whole bunch of countries yeah. who do not want to work longer. And here we are saying, no, 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 the, the gift of life is to work, you know, until you're 75, 80. So we have to be careful that we're pacing our own discourse in a way that people can hear us. And so I think this is much bigger than um, let's talk about the 50 plus and make sure it's on our DNI agenda. But that's not going to solve this issue. This is a massive societal, global transformation of societies in a way we have never as humans experienced before, which is as many old as young, in a system that's been designed for Q2, entirely designed for about with Q2, which means by 50, you are kind of out. And that's what we did for a long, long time. So now it's time to get this onto the strategic agenda, start realizing that those policies and those mindsets will need to change and that it will take a lot of concentrated effort and work and leadership to explain to people why and how. And you can see how governments are struggling on the pension front because yeah. people aren't educated, they aren't aware, they don't, they haven't understood why and how to do this. I, I hear the Dutch are doing quite well. They've just put in some really innovative laws that have been very openly received mm -hmm. where they're tying retirement ages to longevity statistics. So if people on average in the country live longer, the retirement age will naturally increase in tandem. Before we get those kind of policies across countries, it will take a lot of education. And before we get companies used to this idea of Q3 and that actually they want to invest in people and get people in their 40s and early 50 having their midlife rethinks reconsidering what they want to do what they want to learn and what they want to become and transition into in the second half of their lives this isn't brand new so you've been on it for a few years i've only been on it for a few years we're the front runners and i think we will be front running for a decade at least telling companies and waking them up and encouraging them to shift and it will take the same amount of time it has taken us yeah. not fully there on gender balance right and why people get so frustrated i don't understand like you do not change the world in a five-year period we have been in all of human history wired with these ideas about what young and old mean it's not going to change overnight do you know aviva i had not actually thought about when you were saying just a minute ago that when you're in it you kind of you forget that others aren't I've now done so many talks about what's going on with the 50 plus generation. And I can't say it's, it's hugely rewarding because the feedback I get from some major, you know, directors of global corporates going, Victoria, that's the most refreshing talk I've heard in ages. As everything is so samey in this whole diversity field. This is the first time I've heard something new and refreshing. 
and you're sort of thinking really was it was it really that I mean of course I'm loving it who wouldn't lap it up but you forget and I haven't really sort of despite all of that I haven't put it into it they just haven't got their heads around this and I guess we all live in our worlds that we know don't we so it's kind of if you haven't come across thinking about long as you say it's been we've been talking about it for think of some campaigns I did for the government going back 30 years ago around we're going to live longer and it was a shock then for people and actually we've not really moved very far forward now you say it in that way and it's going to take a lot because it hasn't been a strategic priority until now we have the prime minister in the country talking about it saying it's a priority people coming not coming back to work people engaged or not so all of a sudden you can feel the urgency of what you've been talking about for 20 or 30 years now emerging but the answer is not you you said the word right it's very interesting this is not a diversity issue and that's that's where it's being the first port of call right when half your population is over 50 half your customers are over 50 and half your talent is over 50 why or or female for that matter why would you frame that as a diversity dimension um this is do or die right and so that's what's interesting is people want to sort of manage it in a traditional way the way they manage these other long lists of different interest groups and that might not be quite adequate to the task yes and you're quite right because that whole women thing half the population and we got you're right it's exactly the same with half the population again this is not diversity these are not minority little issues here it is life it is what everything is going on it just hasn't been that way which is why i I, you know one of the characteristics of the work i've been doing for the last 20 years is it was always at executive team level it was getting leadership to be skilled and understanding of what the strategic opportunity of gender balance was and what did they as leaders need to know and be good at in order to build more balanced organizations and we got to do that work again with longevity and longevity leadership is one of my key focuses is are leaders ready to lead this shift and how they frame it themselves will be absolutely key to the success they have in implementing it because if it's misframed it'll be a lot like these other issues that don't get the investment and focus that it will require it's a transformative shift it's not an additive one interesting what you've just said there because I started next up because I was being sent very senior people from all walks of life who had left corporate life, this flipping retirement word. They hadn't thought about it. They hadn't planned. And to be honest, they were in a really bad place mentally. They were shocked. And actually, this longevity leadership, that the problem is they don't think it's them. They don't see this as being this is me. And they don't see it before they leave. This is me. And they certainly don't see it when they've let, well, it's sort of dawning on them, this is me as they leave, but they're in such a bad place mentally that they're not really relating to the sort of what's gone on there. This has become them hugely disappointed for the first time in their lives. These people had been, they would say themselves, I've had a blessed career and I haven't planned things have come to me. And they would say for the first time in my life, I'm a failure. That was how they would phrase it. And, you know, I would say you're not a failure. This is just a tough, a tough transition here. It's an unmanaged. So this is one of the the key things I find really interesting about this is 
what we're doing in our old three-stage model of life that we aren't adapting quickly enough is basically what we consider cons uh, success today is an extended Q2, is whatever we were in Q2 doing as long as we can possibly do it and then we get too sick or too tired or too burned out or we get fired and we get booted out into this precipice of doing 200% whatever we were and what would be useful is to recognize that Q2 might come to an end a bit earlier somewhere in your late 40s or early 50s and wouldn't that be a good time to rethink what will I do for Q3 which may be another 25 years the same length of time as Q2 but might need a total redesign and there are a number of really good books around this about just how different it might be. And I think it's also one of the really interesting slants I find is the gender slant on this. Yes. But I think a lot of women emerge into Q3 in a way that's full of appetite and vigor and they just have an empty nest and for the first time in their lives they can only just work and focus on yeah. their careers and the impact they wish to have, which is a liberation for most of us, which we've never even dreamt of and for a lot of men they might be in a slightly different phase you know some of the books that men have written about the second mountain by david brooks or from strength to strength by arthur brooks you know describe this shift from for profit to more for purpose careers whatever it is uh, i think it's slightly different for the two genders at least on average and so i think yeah. a successful second half will in future i hope be built on a, an earlier transition when we transitioned late 60 65 without having thought about it too much yeah we end up losing some of the uh, the ramp to start anew that's interesting because I mentioned we've developed an online platform and we're just getting the first big feedback coming from the pilots that we're doing. And a lot of people are going, it's, I'm loving it because they're saying, I wish I had had this 10 years ago. And that actually opens the door to what you're talking about. If we can shift this, I mean, one step at a time, let's just even help the people who are thinking about the next year or two or three or four at the moment. But I think we need to be thinking about this from people in their 20s. And actually that would then help all this thing about you were talking earlier about pensions that the government and companies are struggling now we don't have final salary pensions how do you how do you get people interested in saving properly for the future and my belief is if we talked about i'm being challenged about this 100 year life because people are saying well it isn't everybody living to 100 no it isn't but it's significant it's a significant pushing out of this Actually, if you start thinking about if I am going to live to 100, what does that look like? You then need money to live that life. And that becomes a more interesting way to focus your retirement plan. Instead of it just being that very old fashioned retirement planning money focus. If you start thinking about this is what I want to do. I want to go traveling when I'm 40. You know, going back to what Linda Grattan was saying, that you might want to take some you know, sabbaticals when you're 40. And then go back to work and live longer, you know, so that you kind of reframe the whole work life balance, if you like. You need money to do some of those things in different ways. It's not the old fashioned save and then 65 stop and then you just live on your savings. So I think some of that would become more interesting if we had a much healthier way of looking at it from a much younger age that we started talking really openly. That's the other thing that we're discovering. It's come about particularly because of our workshops with professionals. Getting the first workshop away in a firm is really hard work. It's hugely sensitive for anybody even to mention that R word as they call it. 
But once you get a group of 20 or 30 partners together for the first time in their lives, often they've never even talked about it to their partners, as in spouse type partners, suddenly people are saying, why have I not talked about this? This is really healthy. It's opening up succession planning much better. You know, it's the whole thing becomes less fraught, much more positive. It's not any less challenging. You know, it's not an easy transition, this at all. But actually, at least if you start talking about it, you feel better. Things feel better when you start talking about them in a, in a healthy, normal way. And actually, then what's the implication of that? And this is how I'd like to plan it. And let's do it all in a much better team way. That seems to be really one of the biggest benefits that we're seeing, actually. And that, that's a huge firm benefit, going back to what we we're talking about earlier on. That has to be more positive for the organisations if we get people thinking more healthily about all of this and talking about it. Well, and that's why I came up with, and in all the work I do in mm. companies, speaking the same, right? What's very interesting is when I speak about this four quarter life idea and mm. work on this with organizations, one of the groups that's most welcoming of this reframe are the people in Q2 because they suddenly, especially women, let me add, especially women, because what you're saying is you don't have to get everything done in Q2. These people in Q2 are way under stress. They're trying to build families, build careers, you know, build community, have some kind of purpose nowadays, save the planet, do everything in Q2. And you just tell them, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You now have 50, 60 years in your working life. You have all of Q3 ahead. So try and think about a career and not, not just a career, as you said, there's not just wealth either there's when are you going to invest in wealth when are you going to invest in health when you're going to invest in love and relationships and when are you going to invest in worth just what is it to mean to be a human and you can invest in all of those things at the same time intensely sequentially in thinking about it in making sure you get a bit of each across the decades but basically you need all of them in order to have a purposeful contented life we know that now the research is really clear i learned a new word from uh, nick palmarini at um, at nika the uk national innovation center for aging called the exposome i love this word exposome you age in function of the exposure you have across your entire life to everything. Oh, wow. Where you're born, what you learn, what you eat, oh, yeah. what influences you have. And we are the product of our exposomes. <laughs> and I think that's a really interesting concept to learn young, because basically it means, yeah, you are going to be the cumulative product of yeah. all the influences and lessons. But the major, major lesson for the Q2ers is they have more time than they think. They don't have to get yeah. it all done you're reminding me i did a ted talk last year and it was um it was called a generation of wasted talent and afterwards it was down in sheffield and afterwards an academic came up to me and she said i'm 35 and i've been so worried that i'm not going to get everything done that i need to and i felt like i've let life go by and i haven't got time and she said i've suddenly realized it was exactly what you're saying i've forgotten this and she said i've got time now and it was such a release for her. And I mean, for me, 35 seems such a young age, you know, to be starting to worry. But 
it was really interesting that and I thought gosh that that is a really unexpected way to look at it because I think I'm talking to the older ones but it wasn't at all and loads of people said I'm going to go and talk to my father to my mother I think they haven't thought about this and that was very heartwarming to me and I thought this is it's really weird there's not much that we need to do here we could just get this out discussed it immediately engages people they get it you don't once once you've started talking nobody goes I don't understand what we're talking about here they immediately get it and they start sharing their own stories my mother had a terrible time when she retired my father had you know whatever everybody's got a story but nobody talks about it generally I think retirement is the biggest taboo in terms of it's held out as being this dream time of life it's a complete load of rubbish it's one of the hardest times ever loads of people are seriously mentally depressed when they first leave that cliff edge that you were talking about a minute ago is appalling for most people not everyone some people are fine they're good at adapting but for loads of people it's a real shock and yet we don't seem we just we don't care about it we just don't talk about it we don't do anything and we're I think again for like for companies which where this is a new issue I think for individuals, we have to also recognize this is new. And the, the, I, I bring it down to one single concept if listeners can just, and they usually get it, as you say, at the click of a light. It's yeah. just yeah. Q3. Q3 is a new thing. We didn't used to have Q3. Now we have potentially 25 healthy, active, engaged years after 50. Yeah. What do we want to do with them? And I think it's an easier rebrand. Like we have to rebrand the whole roadmap of life to get away from that old three stages and its vocabulary which includes ideas like retirement and if you start asking people well what would you like to do in q3 and how are you thinking about preparing your transition from q2 to q3 and who with and what are dreams and ideas you had that you maybe didn't have time to do in q2 that you would like to start addressing now in q3 and then they're off and running and the seed has been sown and that's almost enough I find in terms of getting them to rethink their own lives. But individuals are, we are all just as ageist as the companies we're accusing of ageism, right? And so getting everybody to internalize this really new life form is it takes work. I was talking to the guy yesterday, uh, Theo Cocken, who did a wonderful movie called Your Hundred Year Life. And he's a pensions expert and he did this whole global movie. It's really good. And I said, why is it so hard for people to get their minds around the reality of their own future selves? And he says, it's like a glacier, right? It's, you see it, it's ahead of you, it's in the data and everything, but it moves so slowly that for so many years, you don't feel the impact. And then all of a sudden it hits you, right? And then it's too late to be doing anything. And I think that's where we are on things like climate change and longevity shifts. It's huge, it's massive, we know it's coming, but you know, we can ignore it for a while and it won't kill us. I think there's also a part here, and I haven't really gone here, if I'm honest. A lot of this is tied up with talking about our mortality. It, you, as we start talking about a hundred year life, there's an end, the hundred years. And I don't talk about that stage because there's so much that we need to do with that, the, the, the Q3, that 25 years. I haven't felt the need to go. And that's kind of quite doomsville. When we're 70, that's when I'm going to start on Q4. <laughs> No, 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 Aviva. I'm 67. I'm not far off the 70. Okay, 75. You got to transition into. No, no, no. So this is interesting. I, oh, Victoria, come on. You're a role model. You got to do this. 
Uh, the idea is how do we transition well and healthfully and serenely into Q3? But the future challenge is how do we transition and embrace Q4? I think very, very, it will be increasing. Are you kidding? This is your next company because if you're really next up. <laughs> no, I've got it. I want to find it. I've got it all planned out. I've got a foundation I want to start up. I want to help women who've brought up children and think they've wasted their lives. I've got, no, there's masses more to do. I want to be like the queen working three days before I drop dead. That would be the dream that I'm still making an impact. In fairness, my mother was doing that. She wasn't an easy woman, but she was actually still- You have your plan. You see, you have a Q4 plan. That's not exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, but it's not exactly the same as your Q3 plan. No. And I'm not saying you stop work or you stop engaging or you stop, but I think it's very helpful for people to know you. That sounds like it's a very deep passion led project. Mm. That will be probably your ultimate, mm. that's a very interesting career model, right? Where people build all this experience and then have their maximum magnum opus at the end. In wow. Yes, now oh, that magnum opus. I love that because that leads me on to this question. It used to be really rude to discuss a woman's age. It was kind of not done at all. I don't know about in America, but it definitely in this country, it, it wasn't done. But you've been happy to talk about being in your early 60s. Um, as I say, you're a mere chick. Can you talk about how you feel today about being a woman of this age in today's society? You're speaking, publishing, influencing government, corporates. How do you feel? I mean, you look fulfilled and blossoming, but I don't want to put words into your mouth. How do you feel? Yeah, I think I feel all of those. I, I think I feel all of those words that oh, you just said. Oh, I, think... I feel old. Sorry, no, I feel all of those things. That's fine. Yeah, I feel all of those things. Do I, I feel well, I love being old. So I embrace old. I like the word. I like the feeling. I like the time of life. I don't f really embrace the idea of whatever comes. I really love having done what I did, having accomplished what I did, having two gorgeous, wonderful adult children in the world who I love and a grandchild and a second marriage that's wonderful and a first marriage that was pretty good. I mean, there's so many and so many. I've done so many things and yet I am blessed to be living at a time where technology and AI and longevity has shifted enough. I, I, it always helps being at the tail end of a baby boom where things start to change before I get there yeah. and allows us to do what we're doing, to still be engaged, have an impact, be active, be globally able to work because the technology is now at hand. I don't want to fly very much. I've spent the last 20 years on a plane every single week. And that's part of the joys of this phase post pandemic is now we can do far more work online than we used to be able to do. And so I think it is, I, th I think a lot of women I know at this age are like me. And I think we're a little bit cautious and embarrassed to say just how good it is to be post Q2. Because Q2 for a lot of women is doing a lot of things for a lot of other people. And one of the surprises you know, you care for your family, you care for your parents, you care for your children, you care for your partner and your work. And all of those things are kind of a juggling act. I laugh a bit because my son is currently in this and being pulled apart in all these directions that I remember as being so familiar. You feel terrible all the time because you're never doing enough in any dimension. 
And the luxury of this age and stage is that you can focus. Like I imagine some men who had <laughs> non-working partners, at least outside of the home, were able to do. I mean, it's a real discovery, right? That you can focus and read and connect and explore things deeply without this constant tension internally of all the things you're neglecting or not doing. I mean, adopt a puppy, which I just did. <laughs> She's sweet. <laughs> And then finally, Aviva, we normally ask our guests to share what lessons they've learned and their plans for the future. I know yours is going to be amazing, whatever, but what are your takeaways for people in their 50s and your thoughts for your future? Ah, well, I think the challenge for people in their 50s and for us is we are pioneers. We don't understand that enough. And I think women are the first in the line of these pioneers. We can't look to before. We can't look at our elders very often. We must not necessarily all of us look at our parents, the way they aged, the what they did, the what they thought may not suit us. And so I think we have to be incredibly creative and innovative and open-minded and open-hearted to realize that yeah, Q2 is often very extrinsically driven. And Q3, the joy of it is you have to start listening to yourself. That's the only person that really drives Q3. What do you really care about? What do you really want to do in the world? Who do you really want to be with? And then let go of everything else. The, what my friend Chip Conley calls the midlife edit. You, there's a lot of stuff to be gotten rid of. Physical stuff, emotional stuff, people stuff, your own stuff. And then it's your time of becoming. Like the uh, Indian concept of, uh, no, the Japanese concept of sculpture is that there's, the sculpture is inside the stone. You just have to keep chipping off the stone all around to let that internal beauty emerge. And I think humans are like that too. But the first half of life is about chipping off all that external stuff. Then you discover who you really are. And this is it. Well, on that note, I could go on all afternoon, Aviva, but we need to let people go. That's a fantastic note to end this on. I cannot thank you enough. I was so looking forward to it. You have delivered more than I even dared hope. Please stay in touch. And thank you so much. And what a joyous time you've given us. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Let's, you know, embrace the old. Good advice. Thank you. <laughs> well, that was a joyous, very long podcast interview. Aviva, I can't thank her, you, enough if you're listening to this. It covered so many areas from both the individual to the organisational aspect. But I think the thing above all that I've taken away is that bit about we talk about longevities. We've been talking about it for ages, but we really are not applying it to ourselves individually or to organisations, which is perhaps the more important place. You know, the government and companies and firms and everybody else, everyone is struggling with this because it still feels very new, even though it's not. And for me, I want to reflect on that. And that bit I loved about this stage of life, your Q3, listen to yourself. This is a time to be, what was it, creative, I've written it down, creative, innovative, and open-hearted. And I just had a lunch with somebody, he's a judge and he's looking, what does he do next? And he was introduced to me and it was really interesting because he's not thought about it. And just as we talked, he started thinking about things that he really cared about. And what was interesting was he lit up when he was talking about he's done a lot around with children who've been abused. And he's also done a lot around mentoring young people. And he was saying about younger people in the law. And he lit up. And I was sort of saying to him, sort of, 
you know, this goes back to Aviva's comment, listen to yourself in a way, look for the things that make you light up, that you really care about, because that can give you some clues to what you want to do next. So I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast interview. It's been a bit different from our normal ones. Normally we have people sharing how they're creating a new life at this stage. In Aviva, to be honest, has done that in, in spades here. She's early 60s and she's gone from the gender focus in many ways there's lots of themes there but she's repackaging it all into this next issue and really if you could see her we'll share some videos she was just so full of life and really fulfilled you could see in the whole way she is so that's what we're really hoping for everybody at this stage of life if you've enjoyed it do subscribe and go to our website for all sorts of tips and information next hyphen up We will put all of this on our website in terms of Aviva's mentioned all sorts of people and books and things. So I'll try and research all of that and give you the links on there as well. Hope you enjoy it and see you next time.